Hello guys, welcome to a brand new episode. I am here with Cole Lambert. Right, I got it. Okay, uh, he is the CEO of Epic Homes, builds many single family homes all over uh, Maple Ridge, Vancouver, and BC. Yeah, we kind of stick out in the valley here, so okay. we can Maple Ridge and Langley. Maple Ridge and yeah, Langley. Yeah, that's where okay. we can get the land that suits our product type. And so far, I've looked on your website, you've built 12 communities so far? Absolutely. We built quite a few. So Epic's been around for a little while. Epic's been around pre, pre my time here, right? So Epic's been around since 2004. Um, oh, okay. And within that time frame, we've built uh, close to a thousand homes out in the Albion area alone here in Maple Ridge. And then we built a couple other communities over in, uh, over in Langley as well. So things are rolling and we've got a big project that we're just about to, uh, well, we've launched it and we're into construction right now and we're really just getting into the meat of it. So it's pretty yeah. exciting times here. That's, that's, yeah. that's awesome. I saw, I saw you guys are working on four more uh, or five more that aren't out yet that you guys are just slowly starting to develop. Yeah, we've got a we've got a really cool project here in Maple Ridge. We call it Kanaka Springs. It's right on the eastern bounds of Kanaka Creek Regional Park in the Albion area, and it's a, it's a 75 acre project that'll bring over 700 residential homes to Maple Ridge. Oh, wow. And we build it in various phases. So we've got names for different phases that we'll build out over the next pending market conditions. It could be a you know six to ten year project. So. Oh, I see. Okay. What well, what what are some of the phases that yeah, so uh, so right now we're 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 building and selling a single family phase called Crest, and it's eighty three lots in it, and uh -huh. uh, we're vertically integrated group, so we do all of our own land acquisitions, we develop the land ourselves, we build everything, and then we have an in house sales team that sells to the customers at the end of the day. Um, so we're building through those 83. We're just starting construction on a, the second phase up there, which is called the Falls, and it's a 165 unit townhouse site. And we hope for launch for sales in that in September, um, and uh, and continue to build through that. And then we're actively working with uh, with the local mayor and council to get a couple other phases approved to the south that'll uh, that'll come online. There'll be another three phases there uh, that'll include some rental apartments and some commercial space. Mm -hmm. Now, could you start off by telling us a story of how you became the CEO of Epic Homes and what sparked your interest in wanting to build and develop these single family homes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, um, my title here is the president, right? So I'm kind of responsible for all the day-to-day -day operations and everything that we do. And um, how did I become the story of uh, the, the story behind how I got there? Man, it's a, it's a long one. So I, I kind of just walked through doors that were open for me, right? Um, so I grew up and I always worked in the event industry and um, I saw how things came together mechanically, right? So we'd build things like uh, my family, like um, event tracks, like the Molson Indy Vancouver, where you, where you bring you bring a temporary street circuit and you literally create a city in a span of five or six months that hosts an event where there's hundreds of thousands of people and then it completely gets torn down. But I particularly had a passion for watching those things come together. It's cool, right? It's tangible. You see things come together right in front of you. And I liked that. Um, so I was naturally kind of drawn towards construction. And then also like the fact that, you know, when you look around Metro Vancouver and when I was your age and you look at kind of for inspirations within the business community, a lot of them came from real estate and development, right? I recognized there was quite a bit of money at it. So it was kind of an industry I was curious to get involved in. Um, so I had, uh, I had an opportunity when I was, um, when I was going into university to come here. Um, I was I was presented with a with a chance to go and do it's a consulting report on uh, on fill sites and whether or not we can make it work. 
we create a lot of excavations in real estate development, right? Got to take it out. It's got to go somewhere. Um, so we explored whether we could buy one and, and make it out. And um, and yeah, I guess they liked what they saw in me. They, they enjoyed the opportunity. And then they gave me a chance to be a, a consulting project manager on a small little project that they had down in the Albion area on 102nd and 240th Street. That went well. And one thing led to another. And eventually, here I am today, right? So A lot of people that I've interviewed on this podcast, they all said that they had some types of mentors as if it may, may, maybe their parents were their mentors teachers uh friends that were like-minded who was a mentor for you yeah how long do you have a long time <laughs> i've got a lot of mentors man and i think you need to have mentors in life and i've had mentors that have uh, contributed in in various aspects of creating the person that i am today right so um, maybe most relevant to what we're talking about today, probably the biggest mentor that's, uh, that's been in my life has been my father-in-law, right? And he was one of the original partners and the founder of Epic in the first place. And he was the one that gave me some of those opportunities. And being able to interact with him over the years, he's built a number of successful home building companies. And he's been in the industry for a very long time. First got started when he was in his early 30s. Um, and he's been fantastic, man. He's really good at teaching people lessons. He gives you a ton of autonomy, allows you to do things. But then he can come in, he can help you when things are going wrong or you need assistance or you need help he's always there to lend a lend a hand and, and listen to your problems and help you work through them right so uh, he's incredibly prudent he really understands business really understands numbers mm -hmm. and uh, and he's and he's trained and created some outstanding employees and people over the course of his career so I would say that from a business perspective uh, that that would best would be my biggest mentor still is to this day if you got a problem you phone him and you can work through it yeah. what advice would you give to students that don't have their mentors yet or can't find any yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing in my career is you just got to talk to everybody, right? You just expose yourself to a lot of different situations, to a lot of different people, to a lot of different opportunities. And eventually you're just going to cross paths with somebody who presents something to you that you can take value from. And it doesn't have to be somebody that just, you know, listens to your problems and gives you solutions. Maybe it's somebody that gives you your first job. Or, I mean, one of my great mentors when I was a kid, um, I started working when I was 12 years old. My dad took me to one of our one of his uh, event construction sites. And um, just because I didn't want to go away on vacation with my mom, wherever oh. her, her and my brothers were going, right? So I uh, decided to stay home with my dad. So I was there for two weeks. So he took me down there. And he just pawned me off on this outstanding superintendent they had. A uh, guy's name was Mark Ferber, right? And he's been one of my biggest mentors my entire life because he was just phenomenal at teaching me like the value of work, um, mm -hmm. relationship building, how you interact with different people, right? And there's those subtle little life lessons you get at that age, right? So mentors come in all forms, sizes, shapes. I don't know, man. <laughs> there's there's so many opportunities. Just talk to a lot of people, expose yourself to a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. And would you say that your friends, like-minded friends, could also count as mentors? Oh, 100 yeah. percent. Like they definitely count as mentors. And definitely as my career has evolved, you start to develop a lot of new friendships with people and you and maybe it's because you're seeking them out. Right. But you go to peer relationships where people are in similar situations, similar life stages to you, where you can kind of you have some of those shared experiences. Right. And when you can talk through some of those, even if you're in completely different business or maybe a completely different line of work, you have a lot of similarities that are going on. So I think those become peer mentors as well. In your opinion. Uh, how important is a college degree in the area of where you work and where you are? Um, could a life found experience work better than a college degree? Or would you say college degree is the only way to get to your position or some people who work for you? Man, that's a great question, right? That's a hard one to answer. What do you think? Uh, 
I don't know what degrees are needed. Yeah. I, I guarantee there are a few degrees that are needed, but... Yeah, so I like I to draw know. inspiration from different things, right? Like, look at the broader business community. Some of the most successful people in the world. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, right? A lot of these big tech entrepreneurs, like they never made it through university, right? So they were all dropouts. So I think if you're really driven and you have an idea of where you want to go, most of the, the most valuable education you can get are life experiences, right? And when, when you have that drive and you have a little bit of direction, I'm not sure you ever need a university degree to get where you want to go, right? But for most of us, for me, man, when I was 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do, right? So literally no idea. And, and education was a great place to go because it just gave me some general direction and structure and helped me find myself, right? So, and then I think the average person in this day and age you probably need university educations to get your foot in the door somewhere, right? Because unless you want to be an entrepreneur, unless you want to start your own company, if you're going to go work for a big group who's going to give you awesome experiences like the uh, the polygons of the world or the anthems, right? You, it's a, the, the base level of expectation when you go to apply to that job would be to have some kind of university degree, right? So, mm-hmm. and most most of the best ones, if you're going into you know the business community, would come from some kind of background in business. Yeah. What did you take in university that helped you? Yeah, well, I took, I took business and I did a, uh, I did, uh, I majored in finance, right? So um, I, I would definitely say that helped me because it helped me to give direction that I wanted to go into business at some point, right? I, did, I didn't know that when I was 18. Right. And are there any suggested school courses they suggest for students that want to go into the, into the direction that you went to? Absolutely. So it's becoming more specialized. Well, I guess it's been around here for a long time too. So there's some great programs like at, uh, at UBC, um, they've got gre- degrees in urban land economics and everything that a lot of different people are taking. That gives you a ton of exposure to the real estate and development industry. Um, and, then, and then a lot of developers, they come from all different shapes and sizes. I'd say the background of most developers in the Metro Vancouver region, if you were to take a majority of their background, were probably accountants, right? Uh, some are legal professionals. So yeah, they come from, from a whole different range, but in our business, you definitely need to understand numbers, right? So I, I think it's a fantastic base if you can come from an accounting or a finance background. What was your parents' vision for you? Did they want you, did they have like a vision set for you? Did they want to be <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe we, should, maybe we should phone them up right now and see what they had for me, right? Like, I, I don't actually know. That's a great question. Maybe I should, maybe I should ask them. Like, they didn't I'm, try pushing you in some area, yeah. no? No, not, ne- not necessarily. Let you right? loose and wherever you went, they followed you? No, no, not so much that. Like my, my parents were, were very different people. Um, not in that they're different from the average person in society, but they were different in, in the different life experiences that they gave me. So my mom uh, was a school teacher, right? So she was always really, really big on like continuous education, continuous improvements. Mm-hmm. And then on the side, she just loved to do anything and everything. So she always gave us lots of life experiences, took us camping, took us to the lake, took us to friends places, right? So you're seeing a lot of different things. And plus then she's always striving for you to be the best that you can be, right? So she taught me a lot of those disciplines. Um, whereas my dad, he was, uh, says, yeah, he was, he was a little bit different, but he, he, he gave me those work aspects, right? Like I already told you, he took me to got my first job when I was really young. I was 12 years old. I was already working on a construction site, right? I wasn't very productive. I wasn't doing anything. I think they were just paying me to be a coffee boy for my boss, right? But it was, it was still great because I was out there. I thought I was working. I felt like I was a part of that team. And that confidence led to me. He gave me opportunities when I was 16 years old. I was running a crew already on event sites, right? And there was, you know, maybe 10 or 15 people or something at that time that I was responsible for on a daily basis, giving them jobs, giving them tasks, managing them, making sure that 
that they were getting things done. Um, and that was maybe one of the most invaluable experiences I ever had in this world, right? Because I learned how to fire and hire when I was 16 years old, right? And those are some experiences that people around here can experience for the very first time when they're in their mid-30s, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was, it, was, it was just a fantastic base and a fantastic platform. And those real-life experiences you value a lot because without them, you might have not got to where you are now. 100%. Man. Yeah. So... One guy I really like and I admire, I read lots of different stuff that he produces, a gentleman named Bruce Flat, right? He, uh, he's the founder and CEO of Brookfield, which is this massive um, Canadian uh, investment company, right? And I was listening to him one time and he gave, and he gave a piece of advice. It was like on a, some kind of, whether it was a podcast or an interview, I, I can't remember what it was. Um, but they asked him, what was the best piece of business advice that you ever got, right? And he said, the power of compounding two reasons, right? A, like the compound return, uh, like the compounding effect on investment returns, right? I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal. It's one, like, you know, you talk to, you hear from Warren Buffett and all these great investors from times, one of the most important lessons that they ever learned in life. But second, it's the compounding effect of, um, of life or of business, right? So here at Epic, every single day we make decisions and every single day there's a consequence to their decisions. Some are for the positive, some are for the negative. Whether it's positive or negative, we learn from those experiences and it becomes an additive process. Because every single time, every single experience we expose ourselves to, every book that we read um, or anything else, we can grow on that and we can become a better organization or a better person. So to your point to your question, man, life experiences are just, they're so important, right? Could AI help you guys solve any issues or problems that you might you guys might be facing or maybe even find new variations of this or that in home building? Yeah, I should be asking you this question, Matt. Yeah. Can yeah. AI help our business? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, AI could yeah. eventually. Um, I don't know. Have Have you used AI yet? Have you? No, I, I really haven't done. I'm no, no expert in it, right? Okay. So I don't. I don't know about it. I haven't done the Chat GPT yet or whatever whatever it's called. So I, I I'm a complete rookie in here. I'm naive to the field um, altogether. Uh, but, but I think it's going to change the jobs market, right? Um, it's undoubtedly. I think there's a lot of standardized industries, whether it's accounting, legal, um, administrative tasks that are mm-hmm. going to be really easy for AI to start replacing some jobs. But I think it's going to present a lot of opportunities at the same time because it's going to give the opportunity for the economy to expand. And some things AI is not going to change. I mean, I think it would really struggle to change the fundamental aspects of our business, right? I mean, our business is, uh, is construction, right? You need people. Like, could you imagine getting... Uh, AI is going to replace a plumber anytime soon when you got a clocked sewer pipe? Uh, <laughs> not yet, but maybe. <laughs> but maybe one day it might. Maybe right? one day. So I think it's something to keep an eye on, and I, th- I think it's going to be transformative. But uh, sometimes you never know how long that change takes. Mm-hmm. For developers, it's really easy to, for example, make a floor plan that works and that sells. Mm-hmm. Is there... Is there a benefit of you for you and for your company to try and change something that already works for for variation for to differentiate from different buildings, different communities? Yeah, yeah. If we were in a completely free market, one hundred percent, right? Um, maybe it gives you a competitive advantage. Maybe you recognize a need that people have. Maybe you're just reacting to what the market wants uh, at that particular time. 
But what is really hard to do here in Canada right now is because real estate is a regulated utility to an extent, right? We're so governed by rules and regulations. We have BC building codes. Now they're introducing the step code where you're gonna go to net zero on all of your buildings by, I don't even know what the year is, 2035 or something. You've got zoning bylaws with municipalities. You've got OCPs. So you're really putting in this really small box where we only have so much flexibility on the design side with what we can and can't do, especially in the light of the affordability um, conundrum that we find ourselves in right now, it's really actually quite challenging to do, right? But that could be a podcast in and of itself with how regulated the housing industry is and how hard it is to create any kind of variation in the product types that we build um, so that we can kind of suit those random market needs. So every time you guys find an acreage of land, you're going to have to get these uh, approvals from the government and all that certification, 100%. everything, all those yeah. little yeah. things. So let's say we want to do a townhouse in, uh, in Maple Ridge. You go buy a 10-acre piece of land. Um, you go look it up before you to even be determined whether or not you could develop it, it has to fall within a certain quadrant that's approved by the official community plan. Then the official community plan is going to tell you what kind of different uses you can do on there. And let's say it's approved and it's or not approved but that it's uh, designated for a townhouse site so now you can do townhousing on there but then when you go to rezone the land and get the entitlements with the local municipality maple ridge in this case you'd have to hit a certain zone and the zoning bylaw stipulates the height of the building the setbacks how close they can be to different property lines how much density you can have on a per acre basis and when you start breaking all those things down it becomes very restrictive in what you can and can't build, right? You just can't come up with any kind of creative and say, hey, I think this would be a really cool concept that we saw down in California that's selling like hotcakes and we want to bring it up here and make it work in Metro Vancouver. You can't because our regulatory environment's too difficult. And then if you try to go change the thing, I'm not saying that you can't do it, but now you have to wonder about, well, what's the timing of your project? How quickly do you want to move it through? How much do you want to battle staff and council over bringing new inventive ways into the marketplace that aren't their norm and not what is accepted by all their rules, regulations, bylaws, policies? And that really sets you guys back because I imagine if I was going to live in a, a dream house someday, I'd want it to be this and this and this. Absolutely. But then reali- realizing that all of these regulations have to come into account, it will alter my vision on what my property might want to look like. You're 100%, man. And it's a timing thing for us. We've got to weigh the risks of do we want to be able to build that project in two years or is it a land bank where maybe we'd be comfortable building it in four or five? Because uh, you're probably doubling the length of time it would take you to get approved if you try to work outside the defined few zones that you're allowed to build that type of product. How long do your communities usually build from zero or from scratch to when they're fully built and ready to be sold? Yeah, it's getting a lot longer. Right? So. Yeah, it's been really disruptive. Uh, COVID was very disruptive to our industry because we're so heavily, at being regulated, we're so heavily reliant on government. And, um, and government basically holds the keys to all of our project approvals and giving us the green light to be able to move forward. Um, and that's become increasingly challenging. Um, a lot of the bureaucracies, they're struggling for talent. They're struggling for people that can't react as quick as the private sector. So they're losing, there's a little bit of a brain drain leaving government going to the private side. And then this whole work from home thing seems to have created some inefficiencies and reduced their productivity and getting things done. And um, it's taking us, uh, right now, if we were to buy a project, go start talking to the mall, you'd be looking at maybe four years 
um, to start from the from the start of those discussions until you're actually getting to the stage where you're building product, and wow. then it all depends on the size and scale of your project. Um, on a single family project, you know, it, it takes us maybe we could start four homes a month, and it would take us six months to complete those homes. Um, so then you you know you'd be another ten months to a year on top of when you get those final approvals on large townhouse sites. If you got 165 townhouse units, that's going to be like a 30 month build out, right? So you're going to be there for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. When you came around to the understanding of time and how valuable it is, how what strategies do you use to ensure that you spend it wisely and don't just throw it out? Man, that's a great question. Can't believe you come up with these questions. Yeah, well, yeah. I should flip the script here. How did you get into <laughs> podcasting, man? Like, what 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 drove you? What gave you the inspiration to? Uh okay. Podcasting. What gave me the inspiration? I don't know. Talking to people, finding out how they became so successful, and their interesting stories behind why. Because I have a feeling interviewing all these different people talking to so many successful uh people you could find out the small you you could you could take out a little piece out of everybody connect it and build your own uh success so that's that's why i started podcasting but i asked you first yeah. So um, I think why? I think I think it's so impressive, man. I didn't even know what I was doing at your age, right? Graduated grade eleven, or just about to get out of school in grade eleven. The last thing I'd be doing is going out and trying to find successful people in the business community which to interview. So that's it. That's incredible, man. <laughs> I, th- I think it's really cool. So so time. Yeah. yeah. The older I get, the less time you seem to have, and the more you seem right. you seem to value at my. My, uh, my parents would always tell me that, right? And I would never believe that when I was younger. But now that I'm older and I, I've got a son now myself, like it starts to, uh, it starts to go a lot quicker. Um, so I think the biggest thing for me is that you really got to identify like your own goals, right? So I, I've got a business coach, I worked with him and one of the really cool things he got me back into doing in the last couple of years was setting my own personal goals, right? So like, what do I want to achieve in life on a, from a business perspective, from a health perspective, from a personal perspective, and over the course of, you know, uh, a year, five years, and 10 or 20 years out into the future. And um, to me, to make sure you're moving, using your time effectively is to have goals, is to have a direction and know somewhat where you want to go, right? So, Do you think understanding the value of time could be taught or do you think it comes with time to understand time? Oh man, I'm sure it'd be taught, but it'd have to be taught by somebody a lot smarter than me. Because I, I, sometimes I think those are just life experiences that people, people learn as they get older. When you're younger, like time just seems infinite right right and as you get older and you know you just start to recognize that maybe it's a little bit more finite so and that's why i i i say to my best friends you know you might want to go to that party you might want to have fun now but for me i'd rather have fun later on in life than now so yeah i i hear you man but don't defer it right so um, I learned that lesson. You know, I can't remember how old I was. That that's the shows you I'm getting older. I'm starting to forget things, right? Um, but I got in a car accident when I was in my early 20s when I was in university. And it was a pretty bad one, right? Like, I, I mean, I was that close. So it could have gone either way. Like, I could have been there the next day or I could not have. I, ha- I, happened, I happened to be, right? So um, I think what that taught me is that life's so fleeting, man. Any day could be your last day, right? So you gotta make sure you enjoy it along the way and you gotta find that happy balance, right? Don't defer everything till later because you don't know if it'll be there for you or not, right? So, but you also gotta have purpose. You gotta be working towards something. You gotta enjoy what you do. Mm -hmm. 
so far you've built over 20,000 residential homes, or sorry, 2,000 residential homes. And by the looks of it, you and your team aren't stopping anytime soon. What is your, how many residential homes are you, are you and your team aiming to build? Yeah, so that's a little bit of a marketing spin. Us developers, we like to create as big of numbers yeah. as you possibly can. Are they not, right? are they not that yeah. big? No, no, we're that, we're okay. that, we're that big, right? Okay. But we always like to make as big a number as you possibly can. So you, it's within reality, but you just stretch it in any possible okay. the way that you can, right? So, um, so yeah, we've, uh, so yeah, we we we've built quite a few. We've got a lot coming up. Like I told you, that's about seven hundred homes there, and we're just starting to to aim the acquisition gun elsewhere, right? So, mm-hmm. um, we've got kind of our our behave around here is we want to be great. We don't want to be huge. We don't want to be the next Polygon or an Anthem or something like that we just want to be really good at what we do always have a couple projects and uh and just be people or a group that people could look up and think you know those those guys are really good at what they do Mm -hmm. could you think of an assignment or project that you could give to students that could possibly determine who would be a better fit for your company and construction in general it's a really good question man it's a really good question that I don't know. I don't know if there's a specific task in order to do it. Because what we find that's really successful around here in our group, our organization, our company, it's culture, right? And that you have a culture fit and, uh, and that people fit within the organizations, the personalities align, and that people are having fun doing what they're doing. Because when they're having fun, they tend to be a lot more productive as well, right? So mm-hmm. culture is probably the biggest thing. Um, if there's anything that you could teach at, at a younger age or a different level, it may be courses on leadership, right? Um, how you can motivate those around you, how, how, how can you can inspire those around you to try to achieve better things, right? Something I strive for every day, I doubt I'm very good at it, right? But um, if there's anything looking around the, around the organization, around the group, and around people who become really successful here or in other organizations quickly, a lot of them have a little bit of leadership talent. And would you say leadership could be a course in high school that you'd think is good and students would need to take? 100%. I think it would be an outstanding course. Um, they would definitely start pre- preparing people for, for the next world because no matter what you do, whether you're, a, whether you're a high school teacher, whether you're a nurse, right? whether you're a, a cop, if you have leadership skills, you start to understand how to, um, how to analyze situations a, bit, a little bit better, how to, how, to, how to react and how to interact with people, how to motivate and drive different teams to achieve different things. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think, I think it's, it's really, really important. Are there any other courses that you'd want to add besides leadership? That I'd want to add? I, I think there needs to be like a lot more financial literacy, right? Like you don't get lots of opportunities to learn the, the basic fundamentals of economics in high school. Like that, that was something that I was deprived of, right? And I never got an opportunity or even the benefits of a savings account. Like, do you ever get an opportunity to learn about that or what it's like to have a mortgage or, or balance a, balance a checkbook and, and with all of your pay, uh, with all bills and payments and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I just think that's really important because that immediately hits you once you enter the real world. And I, I don't mean the real world, but the workforce, right? right? Once you're, once you're outside it, once you're done school, training wheels are off and you're out there, that becomes a reality instantaneously. And it's taught too late. It's one of those ones that society just lets you try to learn on your own. But I really think we should be helping people. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind, we'll go further into uh, your developing process. And how, how does every single community differ from each other that you guys built? Yeah. Well, they all differ from each other because every piece of land is completely unique, right? So... 
Um, if we buy a project, if you just look at Maple Ridge, if you were to buy a project up in Silver Valley, we built one that's uh, that's on a road called Fern Crescent that's on the way to Golden Years Park and Alouette Lake, right? And that's just a really unique piece of property um, in a unique area that have different amenities all surrounding it that others don't, right? So maybe that one has a little bit of a, a, an economic spin. Then there'd be other ones where you're in a location, maybe you're really close to commercial or it's a busy street or you've got transit right on your doorstep that might present another opportunity. Mm. Um, or maybe another one's out and it's, uh, it's really adjacent to some kind of really unique amenity. So the location in real estate really dictates a lot because every location is gonna be so vastly different. Outside of that, as an organization, we actually try to keep our product type as similar as you possibly can, right? Because then that allows us to become experts in what we do. Um, we get the same, uh, the same traits will come in, they'll work on it. They know what we're doing, how we do things and we can replicate it. And so does our entire team around here, right? So then it allows us to become a little bit more experts in what we do, um, as opposed to, you know, if you're creating a custom home every single time, it's something completely unique and it's something completely different. You're almost retraining yourself each and every time you tackle a new project. Mm -hmm. What is the craziest or most interesting things that you've added into a home? You see, we're not we're not that exciting in that no. in that, that form or fashion, right? So, um, so the, the coolest or the most exciting things that are added into a home, yeah. Any elevators? Any no, because we don't build custom homes, right? So, not building custom homes, you don't get those really cool experiences to put unique oh, things see. into it, right? We're production builder, and we build on a volume scale. Um, so we have to do larger communities, like we were talking about in the past. And the key metric there, and in, in, in the environment they're in, it's how can we keep costs as low as possible to the consumer at the end of the day, because they're really struggling to get into in the first place, right? Um, if you're mm -hmm. if you're buying these homes in this day and age, a townhouse in Maple Ridge these days is going for eight hundred thousand dollars, right? So if you're taking eight hundred thousand dollars and you want to take out a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage, the first thing you got to come up with two hundred thousand dollars in the first place just to get into that, and then to take out that six hundred thousand dollar mortgage, you're gonna have to have a household income in the neighborhood of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it's it becomes an affordability problem, and and people are really stretched, right? They're stretched as far as they can get, and and our job as stewards in the home building industry is to try to bring in product that they can actually get through the door on. And with rising interest rates, that gets harder and harder for... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah we've never seen rating... Well, I've never seen rate increases yeah. like this. Some, some people have, and there's a lot of people, our partners here, they've, they've come out and they've, they've seen that coming out of the 80s, but it's been a long time since we were in an environment where interest rates were increasing like this. How much do these communities usually cost to build? You, again, you guys try to limit the amount of money you guys spend on each one of your projects, but from zero to selling point, how much would you say they cost? Yeah, yeah, so, um, so it totally depends because you got such a range on different homes, right? Because you can be building apartments where the, the end price are larger, but the projects might be bigger. Um, or townhomes, you know, the price points go up and then single family, the price points go up a little bit more than that. So it totally depends on the size and scale of a project. Um, but with that one right there, it's, it's one of the largest ground-oriented projects in Metro Vancouver. It's 75 acres. We're bringing over 700 units into it. And that thing's going, you know, our costs are going to be well north of half a billion dollars on a project like that by the time it's all built out and finished. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of money. It's big business. And, uh, and yeah. A lot of developers after, after building uh, single family homes for quite some time, they move on to uh, different, you know, bigger buildings with apartments. Is that something your company is looking to 
move on to? Or are you guys planning on staying in residential homes for quite some time? Uh, we'd love to stay in residential homes as yeah. long as we can. It's what we understand, right? Uh, we, we love the economics of single family housing and we wish that was the only product type that we built. Uh, but a few years ago in 2017, we decided to start going into ground oriented multifamily housing. Um, because single families are becoming harder and harder to find projects of the sufficient scale that we want to see in order to uh, to kind of purchase them and move forward with them all. Um, and that's just because we're, uh, we're, we're pushing the limits of what's uh, areas that are approved for growth, right? We've got mm -hmm. the LR, it restricts so much land around there. And you've got a whole bunch of planning restrictions on all these other areas. And then a lot of the, the public perception right now is that single family lots of suburban sprawl, right? So it's harder and harder from a political perspective to get those approved. So naturally, if we want to continue working in the Metro Vancouver marketplace, you're going to have to go to denser and denser product types and more brownfield infill environments. Okay. And then right before we wrap up here, um, what is your favorite book and your favorite podcast that you suggest for students to listen to? Yeah, man. Or great. Read. Yeah, two really good questions. So I've had so many different books that are uh, that that I've enjoyed for different reasons. Um, I'd probably say the simplest and, and, and the best one is uh, is the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah, it's, it's it's one that I like to encourage as many people as possible to read over here. I read it when I was uh, probably around your age or maybe a couple of years old, older than that and um, I don't remember any of the details of the book but I still remember the seven habits right I still employ those on a daily basis so and then any podcasts yeah so I've got, I've got a couple of different podcasts that I like to listen to um, you know I really like Tim Ferriss I think Tim Ferriss is a, is a great interviewer most of his podcasts are way too out there and I, I, I've got no interest in following them all but mm -hmm. uh, he's done you know 500 600 of them and as you scroll back he's had some phenomenal guests and he's got a really good guest on there i, I appreciate them because they go so deep and they last for a while right it might take them two hours interviewing somebody so um there's a lot of depth to the conversation they cover a lot of different topics so i'd say that's one i enjoy quite a bit mm -hmm. well i appreciate you coming on thank you very much and hopefully we see many other communities being built around maple ridge around this area that will lighten up Maple Ridge and Lightning. Yeah, so and I, I think this is so incredible, man. I would never accept or want to go on a podcast, but when you reached out to me and I, I heard that you were a grade 11 student going out and involving yourself in the community like this and being this industrious, man, I'm super impressed. So and I'm glad I could contribute to what, you, what you're doing. <laughs> awesome, thank you very much.